Shut up and sit down. Hi, I'm Corbin. And I'm Katie. And we are the, the Vagabonds. Two best friends adventuring through the world of lady stuff, one episode at a time. We don't give medical advice, and we don't see for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having at bars anyway. Corbs! Hey! <laughs> Day! Hi! Wow. <laughs> What's up? Nothing. Just got back from a Diet Coke run. Diet Coke run Woo. to the store. I feel sure like there's a picture on our Instagram. Yeah, there is. Of the uh, to commemorate the trip. Yep. Sometimes, Sometimes I just need a Diet Coke. Yeah. Sometimes you just have a long day and you just need a little extra sustenance at the end. Yeah. Like some Cheetos. Yeah. I'm eating Cheetos. Ready? Cheetos are the best. They are good. Yeah. Especially good, the idea of them are really good right now because I'm trying to be on a diet right now. You can have one of my Cheetos. Oh, what? Mm. That's, you're not supposed to say that. But right? isn't like the keeping them fr- your keeping yourself from them worse than like just having one and then yeah? You know? I mean, it would be bad if I bought. I don't think it would be bad if I were to eat a Cheeto, but it would be bad if I went and like bought a bag of Cheetos and ate the whole bag. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to help the you. Calories would be neg- negligible. Yeah. You just yeah. help me help you. Really, because they they say, you know, well, part of the diet that I do is um, really you do have like cheat, not cheat days, but you have some flex flexibility. Yeah, because yeah. that's really the way they say to lose, sustain weight loss. Right. Because it's it's so we think of diets as like this thing you have to follow. But a diet is really like how you eat. Right. Right. And that's so, what I typically try to do. Yeah. So you're just trying to eat healthier in general. Yeah. And sometimes you eat something that's not good for you. Yeah, and that's okay. I feel like I eat a normal diet and I still get fat, but it's all right. Yeah. Well, yeah. a normal American diet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sucks. I feel you. Yeah, no, I feel you. It's hard. But when you're when you're approaching fifty, I think that well, that's yeah. also makes that's a difference. Sort of what's happened? Yeah. Um, the other thing we were just talking about as we got back from our uh, little trip is how it's nice and air conditioned in our bunker. Our studio bunker. Yes. And I was gonna tell him the story while I was saving it for you out in the podcast world. But so Corbin and I went to Niger together uh, the summer after our M one year. Or Niger, as I used to think it was. Yeah. Oh no, it depends if in you. Africa. So Niger is what people who speak English call it, and Niger is what people who speak French call it. But the people there speak French, so they call it Niger. So I just call it what they call it. Okay. That's kind of what I decided. Anyway, so Corpus and I were in Niger. The day we get there, it's 117 degrees outside. Ugh. That is 117 degrees Fahrenheit for those of you. And we exited the plane on the tarmac. Which and is it black. Was, which is black. And it was, Burst into flames. I was like, I'm getting back on this plane. I felt like I was standing <laughs> in a frying pan. Like it felt like my skin was being fried. Anyway, so then, you know, we stay, we're staying in this, um, like a kind of like a hostel sort of thing like you you know you can like rent rooms for the summer or whatever um and uh so we had air conditioning but then the upstairs was getting you know remodeled and so then in the middle of summer we moved upstairs and the air conditioner was way nicer Mm. and so then it got to the point where 
one night I was freezing and Corbs would not let me turn off the air conditioner just like on Heck principle. No. So we had to pay for air conditioning every night. How long? And we had it budgeted out of yeah. eight hours a night or something. Yeah. And so like just out of principle, Corbs would not let me turn the air conditioner on. So I was sleeping in sweatpants and a sweatshirt in the middle of Niger in like 100 degree heat and it was just so funny i guess i was imagining you it was like the nicest part of our day that's that is definitely true i guess i was when you said you were in niger i was imagining you in a in a um you know in in a house but but not in a a place with air conditioning or whatever i imagine you're swaddled in mosquito we had the air conditioning air conditioning on like at night when we sleep honestly if we because if you don't People like us can't sleep. Oh, right. No, no, yeah. no. There's no, no way. No. There's no way. We I, didn't have air conditioner like during the day. No. If, if if ever I move back east where I'm from, I'm not entirely sure what I'll do because I feel like, you know, so I grew up on Cape Cod. I know. Oh, you're so Gr- fancy. I grew up on Cape Cod and, and central air conditioning was not a thing. And when we moved out, out west, even in western mass, I think air conditioning was not a thing. When I moved out west to... or to the Midwest, air conditioning suddenly became a thing that every apartment complex had in every you know house. I guess you don't have air central air. Yeah, I do. Okay, so I just don't turn it on very often. Right, even the <laughs> even the even the poorest med student has central air. Yeah, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an M4 now. I'm pretty I'm pretty high in the med student <laughs> totem pole. She has the most debt. I have the most debt. <laughs> It's like golf. The most negative you are, the more important you are. But the further you, the further you move west, I think life was perfected, <laughs> and so central air became a possibility in the Midwest. My, uh, the house that I lived in, uh, growing up, was poured concrete, Ooh. and it was like 120 years old or something like that. And so we actually only had window units because you can't, you mm. couldn't put central air in. To a poured concrete home right. that was 120 years old, mm. but yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. The older houses, the less likely it is to have central air. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm grateful for it. It is. It's a nice thing. Yeah, it is awesome. It's my grandpa's job, actually. He balances air conditioning in large stadiums. Wow! Really? So, like, when you walk into a stadium. And you're like, this feels good. The door shouldn't suction shut, you know? Oh. Um, So he balances the air. That's such a specific job. It is, yeah. That's so cool. It's really important, though, actually. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Anyway, not that I'm biased or anything. (laughs) No, it it is. Good old Gramps. Grandpa, what's up? Does he regale you with stories of air conditioning balancing? (laughs) No, not really. I remember. He does have a great name. There was this one time. He does have a great name, though. What's his name? Odin. Odin. Oh, yeah. That is good. Damn. He's Norwegian. Of course. That's beautiful. That's a good Norwegian name. Yeah. Um, so speaking of things that rural America does better than uh, the rest of the world. Yeah. Not medicine. Wah, wah. Wah. So today we are talking about this NPR article, When Are We Not, um, that my husband showed me uh, that's about the health shortage in rural America. Uh, and so basically the, I mean, the article is about, you know, this rural town in Arizona, um, and how just kind of the, the struggles that they have and the things that they have to go to, to be able to have doctors, keep doctors, get healthcare, you know, all this stuff. 
So. <laughs> I just, sorry, this is an aside. Uh, I got brunch with my dad and my stepmom this weekend. And I was, you know, talking to them about where I was going to apply to residency. And I mentioned I was going to apply some programs in North Carolina. And my dad goes, oh, yeah, you should do that. North Carolina is my favorite state. <laughs> and... <laughs> And then my stepmom goes, I thought you liked Phoenix. And he goes, oh, yeah, I like Phoenix. And I was like, and then my stepmom goes, even, what about Iowa? <laughs> and then uh, my dad goes, well, of course, Iowa's first, but <laughs> North Carolina's <laughs> second. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this thing. Sounds like a conversation I've had with my dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, literally, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so, really, I mean, obviously, the funny thing to me was that he was like, of course, Iowa's first. Yeah, yeah. Duh. We are the best. <laughs> no. But then North Carolina and then Phoenix, which isn't a state. It's but not a state. <laughs> oh, man. Um, hey, I like North Carolina, too. Let's go together. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm assuming I'm invited. I would love to go to the beach. <laughs> Dave, you have to come. How else have, are like, we? a beach house? Yeah, I know. I want that. But I'm a little worried about global warming, actually. I'm like, that's why I'm skeptical about going to the coast. I know. I'm a, I'm afraid that the coasts are going to fall into the ocean. They won't be there for very long. I know. Okay, so um, basically, I'll just kind of, you know, highlight some of the article, and then we'll talk about each point that I wrote down. But, um... So the first, you know, the first thing is a patient from a patient perspective. And so they're talking about how as a patient, um, it's hard to find a doctor. And then once it's, once you find a doctor, it's hard to keep a doctor because, um, in rural communities, it's hard to keep the same doctor. Cause a lot of times you have people who are just out of training, who are getting more experience or who are training. And so then, um, there's a lot of turnover, um, in your physicians and your staff too. I mean, nurses and, and CMAs and stuff, they, need to have a reason to stay you know yeah sometimes uh med students get a get uh a deal on their tuition yeah um on their loan repayment basically yeah loan Mm -hmm. repayment and so they spend some time in like you know some town somewhere right and when their term is up usually what five years yeah it depends depends, but yeah but you know when their term is up they're gone Mm mm-hmm yeah, so that was actually, late. like, they talk about that in this article. It's called Debt Forgiveness Programs. Mm-hmm. And those are potentially under this new health care bill going away or oh. being reduced, really? which sucks. Yeah, that's... Because, first of all... Basically a terrible idea, but... Yeah, first of all, it sucks for the community because, like you said, that's a lot of reason why they have doctors. And sometimes, if people are going to go somewhere for five years... Not my, not maybe most of the time even, but some of the times those people aren't going to want to move away, yeah. especially if you're doing primary care and you've already ha- built your practice for five years. You don't want to just leave that. There's a lot to be said for practicing medicine in a small, right. small town. And um, the other thing is that it sucks for people like Corbin and I who are graduating with all this debt where, you know, if we go and work somewhere where, I mean, where Corbin and I are from. You know, those those places would fit into this repayment program. You know, like those places are low income and far enough away from a huge center that that would be available. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's also helpful for people who want to go practice in their hometown and then they can get, you know, a nice repayment plan out of it, too. Because you are taking a hit. Right. And pay. Mm-hmm. Typically. Not yeah. always, but depending on what you're going to, but. Yeah, but and that's another thing that, you know they talked about was that a lot of a lot of doctors are becoming specialists, and then I mean there are no specialists in rural small towns because 
you kind of have to work in a city to make it worth your while to have that patient population be high enough yeah to need a specialist which you know it's kind of like why are we talking about this you know we're gonna be ob-gyns ob-gyns don't really work in rural cities which is not necessarily true there are ob-gyns who work in rural i haven't read it though so i can't really talk about it but uh hasn't stopped you so far i read the uh i read the title really that's enough Um, that's what most people that's that's all millennials need i saved it so i could read it later because i didn't have time because i was getting ready because we're med students um but it was talking about ob guys in rural georgia actually oh cool Um, let's see you have to send it to me half of georgia's um 159 counties um, oh, do not have a counties. single obstetric provider. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. So, and I mean, so kind of, I mean, there's like two schools of thought. Some people consider OB-GYNs primary care physicians. Some people don't. I don't know. Just kind of depends. I consider them primary care. I do too. Well, especially because for women, mm-hmm. a lot of time, a lot of times women's health is relegated almost solely to OB, OB-GYNs. Yep. Like, oh, sure. you're a woman? You got it. Yeah. Right. Mm, ob guy. Yep. Um, I just retweeted that article on the Vagabond's uh, Twitter feed, if you're interested in reading it. There you go. I am. Um, is it an NPR article, though? Uh, no. Okay, well. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll just read it. I'll just... It's from Atlanta Magazine. <laughs> uh, ACOG, the Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, tweeted it out. Oh, nice. Well, I'll definitely read it. Um... But what were we talking about? Oh, working in a city versus mm. working in a small town. Yeah. So, I mean, for, you know, for things like OB-GYN, it's hard working in a rural town because if you're the only one there, you're on call all the time. Yeah. You don't have any partners to share with. So that sucks. So I totally understand why people want to go somewhere where they have a lot of partners. But, I mean, small towns need doctors, too. I don't, also you know, want to make sp- sure you have enough patients. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. There's a certain algorithm. Especially a- as a surgeon, you know, you need more patients, I feel yeah. like. There's yeah. an algorithm? There is an algorithm. There's an algorithm for like, everything. Yeah, there is. I, I wouldn't put it past Patients y'all. needed to sustain a general surgeon or a, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I've heard this. Right. I can't. I don't know what the numbers are, but. Yeah. Um, But what else? Oh, and then, I mean, and then there's the whole issue of, you know, more people are going to be specialists. Specialists make some more money. They have more prestige, you know, all this stuff, which is another thing that I think some of the, um you know, like the higher governing bodies of like medicine are trying to, you know, incentivize being a family medicine provider or a psychiatrist or an internal medicine provider, you know, they're trying to incentivize those because if you get paid more, then maybe more people would want to go into them, you know, all this stuff. But yeah. I don't know. That's also, I mean, the funding has to come from somewhere. So, and then, you know, increasing the number of residency spots, all that funding has to come from somewhere. So it's just kind of a shit show a little bit. Yeah. Go figure. Government's involved. I know, right? <laughs> um, so according to the National Rural Health Association, rural areas could be short 45,000 doctors by 2020, which is actually less than I thought because I feel like I've been he- hearing about the doctor shortage for a really long time. You have been hearing about the doctor shortage since oh, for a super long time. I've been hearing about the doctor yeah. shortage for a long time, since yeah. the 80s, definitely. Right. Yeah. So I mean, go figure. A problem exists if you don't do anything to fix it's it. It's wacky, right? Weird. It's crazy talk. Yeah. So, 
Um, the other thing, you know, they kind of talked about was that a lot of rural residents are either on Medicaid or are uninsured, which I mean, hopefully, you know, kind of changed after the Affordable Care Act came through. But I mean, some people still aren't uninsured. And then you also have, you know, like migrant farm workers and illegal people who are here illegally who don't have access to those kind of things. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Um, yeah. So who don't have access to those things. And then. Um, but the one place where you can get care is an ER. So then you, you know, start having ERs functioning as primary care offices. Mm-hmm. And then people who actually have emergencies aren't able to get that care. And, you know, it kind of just like gums the whole system up. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Another issue for specialists um, practicing in rural areas really is can be skills as well. Yeah, that's if true. If you don't see enough cases to keep up your skills, mm-hmm. that, that can be a big problem. Yeah. Them. that's definitely true um yeah they're they're said in the article that i was reading that rural air areas are the new inner city um because of the lack of resources that they have which um so i you i i used to work in i used to be a americorps member and i used to work in a rural setting rural washington rural poverty and urban poverty are two different beasts totally. they really are and mm-hmm. So I don't really think you can compare the two. Yeah. Um, There's just a lot of different aspects of rural and urban poverty. I mean, on one hand, in rural poverty, for instance, you might not have the social resources of food banks and homeless shelters and lots of low-income clinics. Like, these things Mm -hmm. don't often exist in rural areas. Like, for instance, there's one clinic in my hometown. It's a private clinic. Right. You know, and... So they they do take Medicaid, but if they didn't, for example, you wouldn't... There would be nothing. Right. Right. And even, you know, and if you have no insurance, then you're just kind of screwed. So there's that. Um, but there's also, you know, a low cost of living in rural areas. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there's more familiar social support in rural areas Mm -hmm. not always but i mean there can be obviously social support in um, urban areas as well but again on the other side urban areas more of those sort of social services typically exist but Mm -hmm. also you have a higher cost of living and um, more um, consolidated public schools and stuff like that so when you also have more people using those services too right you you know all that kind of stuff so I just, I don't really think you can compare no. rural and urban poverty at all. I agree. When I read that, I was kind of like, meh. Well, and when it comes to medical resources, I mean, a lot of inner city is where hospitals are. So, I mean, and that doesn't speak to access. It just just speaks to location. But I mean, it is a lot easier to get to an ER if you can walk there versus if you have to drive 60 miles to get there, you know, I mean, just purely from that aspect of it, but... Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's apples and oranges. In my hometown, they elect you to call ahead. To the ER? Yeah, coming in the ER. <laughs> if, yeah, I so guess. That somebody could be there. If, yeah. if your doctor is on call from home, home, uh, call, home call is like another super good reason to work in a rural hospital, though. You just like hang out at home until mm-hmm. you're needed. Except then in an emergency, you're too late sometimes. Ooh. Yeah, that's why I kind of call ahead. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there was a certain amount of time that they had. Yeah. My mom would, we had, on a couple occasions had the ER. She was like, she's the crazy person that like timed them. Oh man. It's like, oh, are you here? 
Mm-hmm. I shouldn't you? say crazy person. That was insensitive of me, I should yes. say. Yeah. Yes. As um, a parent, she was I can being... tell you that we're crazy. Yeah, that's all right. Um, so the other thing that I thought was really interesting, um, kind of, you know, kind of this whole time we've been talking about how politics affects the way that we can provide medical care, who gets medical care, all this stuff. The other thing that is interesting is that a lot of um, foreign medical grads can get, like... They're, you know, they can help get their visas, help get their green cards if they work in a high risk area for residency. And so since our immigration policies are getting more strict, this can cut down the number of foreign medical grads that are allowed to come in and receive visas to work here. And so that's another thing is that, you know, if these high, if these uh, high risk areas are the ones that are getting these doctors and then we're going to cut off that flow of doctors, then that's also going to screw over these higher need areas too, which I mean, it's just, you know, I feel like this is all the stuff that like regular people don't think about when you, when you talk about immigration policy or when you talk about, yeah, you know, but it, it people, actually... people love to, people hate to, to, to think about nuances, you right? Know, like, yeah. Oh, like, uh, that's that's too much for my brain to handle. I yeah, can't I can't right. have more than one thought in my head at the same time, or one more than one opinion in my head at the same right. time. That's that's kind of the problem. I that, remember. Oh, go ahead. No, I was probably just gonna say that same thing again. I was. Uh, <laughs> I remember when the Muslim ban, and that's what I'm gonna call it, the Muslim ban, because yeah. that's what it is. That's yeah, what it is. essentially. Um, the Muslim ban came through. It was actually one of the first things I thought about was how many residents, fellows. Mm-hmm physicians at the University of Iowa who are from these countries that were banned. And right. I, one, I was very upset because Iowa went to Trump. And I just think about all of these patients that are taken care of by these, yeah. you know, these doctors from all these countries. And I just want to say, hey, these people are taking care of you and they're there for you. And what what are you doing supporting this policy? I just. Right. Yeah. Anyway, and it hurts. It hurts us. It hurts know? everybody. People it hurts that, us, you know, just on a workforce level, also on a human level of we don't get to share with our lives with, you know, people from different yeah. diverse backgrounds. But Right. Nothing bad has ever come from having more different people involved in something. Agreed. Right? Agreed. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, like, I mean, these are the things where, like, like I have said before, my family's super conservative and like this weekend I was home and had a conversation with my dad and some of his friends. And these are the things that, you know, I bring up and people are like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, no, you just hate people who are different than you. But you do, you forget that people who are different from you can offer you something, too. Like they might be taking care of you someday and, th- and they should be allowed to. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's it's hard, I think, because... So they, do they seem you, receptive to what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes. It kind of I mean, depends. Yeah, and I think it's hard when you... I'm also getting better at being less aggressive. Mm. Because at first, usually I just get really pissed off, and then I just yeah. yell about stuff. But yeah. And then you sort of blow it. Yeah. yeah but I'm getting better. Hard. I, I find that kind of hard, too. Because for me, it's not that I want to get angry. It's just I feel that so hard it is hard and i just feel like if someone has to stand up for people you know it's just a for me it's a moral issue Mm -hmm. for say saying the right doing you know saying the right thing or standing up for people who who um you know are being 
marginalized in this mm-hmm. situation or I just have a really hard time and this is something I'm really working on I have a really hard time with you know this we need to talk to Trump voters and I understand like everyone's a human being and I personally believe that you know I of course know tons of Trump voters because I'm from rural northwest Iowa but um and I understand like you know everyone is worthy of love and everyone you know, deserves to be heard. Right. And, you know, for many Trump voters, life is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, life is really hard, and they were looking for an out. But also, I feel like, you know, a vote for Trump, what in, in many ways was racially motivated, because I know, mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of people. Um, but also, part of me is kind of like, man, Nobody is listening to these marginalized groups, so why do we have to pander to you? Yeah. When you're the one throwing a temper tantrum and, you know, you voted for the worst president in all of history. Yeah. I think it's... I'm just... I mean... I don't know. No, I totally agree with you. I'm working on it. I totally agree. And I think, yeah, I think it is. I think it's a balancing of both of those and also time. Because, you know, right after the election, I was pissed i was so mad i was like i can't even go home i can't talk to my family you know i can't talk to my family i don't want to talk about it i i was just like so mad so hurt so upset and then you know as time has gone on it still sucks and it still sings and it still hurts but it's it's i think it's given me time to think about how to respond and you know i mean more stuff has come up that you know different ways to respond i don't know i agree with you it's a balancing act it sucks though I'm very ashamed of our country. I don't know. And I mean, so I think about, you know, everyone deserves the chance to broaden their, you know, their their horizon, like Mm -hmm. broaden their understanding of the world. So everyone deserves the chance to be confronted with the reality of their, not their own, and to be forgiven for like, you know, for instance, if you held a racist ideology mm-hmm. like i think it's most productive to society for you to be given the chance to be confronted change your perspective and be forgiven for your past views yeah you know mm-hmm. does that make sense i i guess so oh, um i'm not i'm not certain that well yes what do you that does you make sense yeah i'm just not i i just have no no faith in people's ability to change their minds <laughs> yeah you know like i it's i hard. agree that they deserve a chance to change their minds yeah and i'm sure that there are definitely people out there who have changed their minds mm-hmm. about yeah. their their views um right. racist or you know any any ist i'm sure yeah. that's yeah. happened but i just don't see you know like yeah. i have a, you know my next door neighbor perfectly pleasant person in general but you know, he, like a lot of us, speaks in code. Mm-hmm. So when he says, you know, uh, the neighbors down the street um, were, were making a lot of noise and, and then one day they all moved out. They probably met, went back to Chicago. Mm. So in Iowa City, this is not true in the rest of the country. In Iowa City, from, if you're from Chicago, that means you're black. Yeah, you know? yeah. And you came for, yeah. And you came here to make trouble. Right. Or to you know, be a pain in the ass or to sell drugs or whatever the heck that you think black people do in Chicago. You came here in order to do that. That's, that's the code in Iowa city. And, um, 
you know, I don't know. Like, I just have no faith in even as nice as, as nice a person yeah. otherwise as he is. I have no faith in the yeah. fact that if I said, hey, you know what? Uh, that's bullshit. Yeah. Well, and also, so people who aren't. I'm awfully cynical these days. Though, no, totally. Say. People who aren't woke to, I mean, use a term that has been used lately. Term. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, they like don't see that as racism, though. Yeah. That's the thing. Is well, they that, see it as reality. Right. And because like. I'm, like, just, I'm just telling it like it is. Right. Because like my, I have a family that's like super racist. But all the stuff they say, they're like, well, that's not racist. It's just true. And I'm like, but you're stereotyping an entire group of people. Yeah. So just because it's true about one person does not mean that it's, you know. And, and you're like, actually, it is racist, but you're never going to. Right. And you know. yeah, I don't know. And it's, it's so and hard. Another thing is, you know, like I was saying earlier a lot of Trump voters are, are probably hurting in many ways. And like um, like I said, they deserve, I mean, as human beings, hopefully they can change. I mean, but also they're, that doesn't exist above and beyond people's right to be treated as human beings. So like right. these right. groups that are being oppressed, you know, um, Muslims that are being attacked... Um, all these things, you know, these people in the process of people, you know, of confronting what's going wrong in Trump's America or these people have, you know, have rights and I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> yeah. So there a lot of editing. The, the rights. You know it's fine. <laughs> so I think. I think what you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're trying to say is that their right to believe what they believe about other people does not supersede other people's rights to be treated as an American with the rights and liberties right. Right. that As human involves. beings. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Oh my gosh, so eloquent. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, exactly not really. what you're trying to say. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so before we leave, the double AMC, the AMC, what does that stand for? American Association of Medical Colleges. That thing. So they have this really neat website that I found um, that basically, you know, kind of walks you through the doctor shortage. It has like some cool graphics, has some YouTube videos attached to it. Anyway, it's really cool. But at the bottom is a letter that you can fill. You just fill in your name, your email address, and your zip code. And it basically generates a letter that it sends to your representative and it basically says, you know, that we need to fight for our health care, that we need better medical education, that we need more medical education, we need more spots, you know, all this stuff. So it basically is saying that, like, you should do things to provide funds to make sure that those things happen to help fix this doctor shortage that we're going to have in the what we have now. So anyway, so I'm going to attach that to our in our show notes. And so everyone should go there, fill it out add it send it to your representative and if you want to do even better call your representatives um because there's a lot of healthcare stuff going on right now and you can make a difference if you've never called your representative before you might be intimidated yeah to do so Mm -hmm. i had never done it before this year and what's interesting is that it's fine because you know, it's not was, like you're actually talking to them. Well, not only that, but they need our information. Right. They need they need to hear what we have to say. Otherwise, they're just making shit up. And the person you speak to on the phone is going to be super pleasant, mm-hmm. super non-judgmental, um, and 
they will get them they will hear what you have to say it yeah. turns out that's yep. what i've learned from trump land from yep. being from living in trump land is that even though i'm not happy um with how things are going uh my voice does get taken into account so far yeah, yeah. So hopefully that, that continues yeah yep okay well <laughs> cheery note. yeah uh what what do you subscribe that's what it's called subscribe subscribe to our podcast we're never gonna get it right subscribe no just kidding we will prescribe you an episode of this podcast per week <laughs> to be taken audibly <laughs> it's orally no oh um, i guess yeah. yeah orally with an au with not an, an o right. can't eat a podcast dave all right i'm losing it uh okay so subscribe and rate us on apple Podcasts and follow us on instagram hashtag us hashtag the, the, vagabonds. the vagabonds yeah corbs created a hashtag and then we'll see everything and uh twitter follow us on twitter, twitter. and email and email facebook. us and facebook all of that is available if, if you want one place to go you could just go to the vagabonds that blueberry.com vagabonds podcast shit we don't know dave the vagabonds podcast that blueberry b-l-u-b-r-r-y dot com or you can just look in our show notes and just click on it on your smartphone and then go to the website and then favorite it and then go on on your computer and then read everything so now that we've told you how to use social media (laughs) please go use it okay bye okay bye (laughs) 